So we are finishing up our series, Reclaim, this week. The first week, Buddy talked to us about romance, and he lived up to what he was talking about. And uh, last week, we talked about time, and some of you said, well, that made me think. And this week, we're talking about reclaiming our kids. Now, some of you might relate to this. How many of you parents have found yourself on Sunday with your hands around the throat of a child you love very much? And you're saying something like, you get ready for church, get ready now, so we can get there on time to learn about the love of Jesus. <laughs> on the way to church, children become demon-possessed. <laughs> I had two of the most beautiful uh, girls on the way to church. They would fight like mortal enemies over nothing, over stupid stuff. This is my side of the car. This is my side over here. I am on my side of the car, and you are over here. You are breathing on my side. There are, mo there are molecules coming from your side to my... Did you ever hear this? Shades looking at me. How many teenagers? Any teenagers in here at all? Girls, do not say to your parents, she's looking at me. Your parents are not equipped to handle. She's looking at me. No human with a brain can handle. She's looking at me. Sarah, if you want to mess with your parents, say something like, she hit me with the crowbar. We can handle that. <laughs> Give me the crowbar. <laughs> Don't hit her anymore. <laughs> so I did what... I know some of you have done this. You ever grab the rearview mirror and change it to an aiming device? I'll come back there, so help me. <laughs> Lean forward a half an inch and you'll meet Jesus today. <laughs> but God loved children. He did. He gave them the innate knowledge of that one spot in the car your arm can never reach. <laughs> so you're going like that, and they're going strike two. <laughs> I told that story about swinging my arm at the kids. A little old man came all the way from the back of the auditorium. It took him about five minutes to get to the front. He could hardly walk, and his finger was out like this. He came up to me, and he said, I'm going to tell you something when you were talking about swinging your arm at the children. Oh, he said, God taught me about that a long time ago. I thought, this boy's going to crawl up one side of me and down the other. I just braced myself. I said, what did God teach you? And that old man got a sparkle in his eye. He said, God showed me that a touch on the brakes brings them right into play. <laughs> Now, based on your laughter, I would say you can relate to that. <laughs> well, I had a few Murphy's Laws of Parenting, but I think I'm going to skip those. Uh, I want to, there was this pastor that told a story about his wife pursuing his hobby of uh, making porcelain dolls. And she went to her doll making class and, and he stayed at home with the children and he was out on the front porch and he was talking with one of uh, a person that came by and he heard the phone ring and his son, he was so proud, answered so politely and so promptly, but his pride just kind of vanished as he heard 
the response to the caller's request to speak to his wife, what his son said. His son says, well, mom's not here. She's out making a baby, but dad's here if you want to talk to him. <laughs> you know, our kids can kind of keep us humble, you know? <laughs> um, the Earl of Rochester said, this is so true. Before I was married, I had three theories, or before, yeah, before I was married, I had three theories about raising children. And now I have three children and no theories. <laughs> and the reason for that is because everybody is an expert on parenting before their parents. Somehow we know exactly what to do. Uh, I had a friend one time that uh, I had, Jody was really small, and she didn't have any children yet. She was married, didn't have any children yet. And she was constantly going, I can't believe that you allow her to do this, and on and on and on. So it was really fun to watch her after she had her son. <laughs> and that's just kind of how it works. We just know how to do it before we have those children. But parenting in 2014 is probably one of the greatest challenges that any parent's have ever had because now more than ever there is an all-out war on the most innocent and the most vulnerable population that of any time in our history our children they're they're being preyed upon by thieves and the thieves have become so sophisticated and hopefully parents you're very very aware of this I hope you are you know, if a thief would break into our house and they came after our child, what would we do? We'd call the police. We would just about be frantic. We would do whatever it took to catch that thief. Yet, there are even more dangerous thieves that have already gotten into our homes. And they're kind of lurking around inside of our homes. We really live in one of the most anti-family times in history. It seems like there's a war on, in our homes and it's kind of breaking our families down. And the family has always been under attack. I was so thankful for James Dobson maybe 30, 40 years ago when he came out with, uh, a focus, with focus on the family and just said, we've got to do whatever it takes to build families up because there's a war on families. And 25 years later, we've seen, and it has to be really heartbreaking for him to see how the culture has gone and how the family has, has broken down. So there's always been, a, uh, the family's always been under attack. That's not new. But what is new for parents today, for all of us, is this instant accessibility for the thieves to get right into our homes. We've got media, we've got the internet, we've got social networking. It's a complete game changer for us as adults and for our children as well. Now, there's nothing wrong with the media, the internet, social networking, but what happens, I, I thought, it's kind of like food. You know, there's nothing wrong with it, but, the, but there's great danger in it if we get really lazy about it. Or if we, if we begin, because if we get lazy about it, we're not paying attention, we'll misuse it. And that's what's happening today. No generation of parents ever have had to raise children with forces vying for the minds and the souls of our children like today. You know, the, the entertainment industry targets children. Uh, if you've ever studied that, the serials that they target, when they put it on primetime children's shows, I mean, there is this, this whole network going on out there that's targeting children and manipulating 
children. There's just a slight tap, allows violent movies, and, and uh, what used to be PG, what used to be R-rated in my generation is now PG, sometimes PG-13. And a, just a slight tap will bring up violent movies or, or porn will pop up. Um, you know, we can be watching our favorite TV show in prime time. And uh, I was watching with Jackson one night. He's not big on TV, but we were sitting there and doing something. And, and the show was okay. It was the commercial that popped up. It was sexually explicit. And it was like, he was, whoa, he's been taught, be careful what you put in your eyes. And so it, right in our homes, it's not safe anymore. And for parents, even as grandparents, we carry this heavy responsibility because you know what? It is our responsibility to protect our children. And it's interesting because we give them cell phones because we want them to be connected with us and we want them to be safe, yet in their hand is a tool that can bring a lot of harm to their life. You know, sexting is just common. I mean, it's just like, that's just what we do, guys. Sexting is, is a common practice among teens. And fear that gets instilled with just uh, a, a report on the news of, of uh, terrorism and that happening possibly on American soil. You know, the tsunami is just overwhelming. It's overwhelming for us as adults. I can't even imagine what's going on in the minds of the little children that really aren't equipped to be able to process and put all of this together. And we could look at that and say, I, I give up. But the good news is, there is really good news. That if we're vigilant, if we will pay attention, and if we're intentional, they, our children do not have to be swallowed up by what's happening in our culture. We really can reclaim our kids uh, from this manipulative culture. And today we're going to look at three ways. I'm going to give you one and then Buddy's going to give you a couple. First of all, give children the abundance of your time. The Bible says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now more than ever, parents, now more than ever, or even big brothers, big sisters that have little brothers and sisters at home, now more than ever, spending interactive time with your children is crucial. I'm not just talking about just going alongside your children, but actually having interactive conversations with them. Did you know that the average dad spends only 37 seconds a day in meaningful conversation with their children. There's a book called Bowling Alone and it gives some statistics of the decline in our human connection over the last 25 years in North America and it said that attending club meetings, you know, when I grew up I, I went to 4-H and it was a club meeting and uh, you know, uh, that is down today 58%. Family dinners are down 33%. Having friends over are down 45%. And our family relationships are suffering. They don't have to be if we will give the abundance of our time. And you know, we wonder why our children get in trouble and they have behavioral problems and then we medicate them or we get them help. But the reality of it is, here is the truth. When the quality of family time 
and relationships and meaningful conversations goes down, acting out and behavioral problems go up. You can count on it every time. When our family connection and our meaning com meaningful conversation goes down, behavioral problems and acting out goes up. You know, it's our relationships are developed deeper with our devices, aren't they? I mean, I watch Buddy and I, and we fall for it too. And I think, man, we're spending more time with our device than we are really talking with each other. And uh, I mean, quite frankly, it's a whole lot easier relationship, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it really is. It doesn't talk back to you, sort of. Siri does every now and then. And, um, you know, if you don't like something, you can just click it off. Uh, except for that autocorrect. Don't you hate that autocorrect? It will not do what I say. The other day, uh, it ch I wrote youth pastor and it put outhouse pastor. <laughs> I, was, I was really glad. I, so I just went to my settings and I clicked that part off. No more autocorrect for me. You're going to say what I have to say. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> Relationships with our devices are so much easier. I don't think I could do that with Buddy. I don't know where his button is to take off the autocorrect. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing back there either. She knows. But we can... <laughs> Does she, Paul? <laughs> we, can, we can reclaim our kids. We don't have to say there's nothing I can do that. In the Bible it says, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We need wisdom. So here are three simple yet powerful ways, three ways to spend our time together. First of all, take time to listen without judgment. Now this takes practice. This does not come naturally. Not just to listen to that child or that teenager's words, or not just to read their actions, but to listen to their heart. The Bible says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, uh, slow to speak and slow to become angry. You know the number one reason why kids resist talking to their parents? Because we haven't made it safe for them to share their feelings. Because we're so quick to give advice or to correct or to get frustrated with what they're saying because a lot of times what they're saying seems irrational to us or it just doesn't make sense to us. But the longer we listen to them, the more we allow them to share their heart, no matter how irrational that sounds, the more they'll begin to trust that we really do care. The more that we learn to listen, the more they'll begin to open up. And your relationship, parent, with your child should be the number one relationship that they'll come back to to talk about sexual kinds of things, to talk about relationship kinds of things. And that's not, that, that's not just going to happen. That happens as the parent gains trust from their child to truly listen to their heart. And you know what will happen? What that means is we put down our device. We put down ourselves. We have some eye-to-eye -eye contact, and we truly listen to what they're saying. You know what happens in that relationship? Magic. Magic. Because we, get, we begin to connect with our hearts and not just with our behavior. Secondly, and this one seems so basic because I grew up, it wasn't even, it was a done deal. We ate meals together all the time, but take time to eat meals together. 
It seems so simple and it seems so basic, but today, eating a meal together is kind of a lost and dying art. It's a lost and dying connection. If you're not doing that, just set some days aside to have dinner together with your family and, and begin to ask questions of those around the table and be curious about what's going on in their lives and in their relationships and, and, and uh, what they're doing. Let them, let them do most of the talking and listen. We just think that if we're just barraging this child with our words that somehow they're just going to take all of those in and just live them out. They're not. They need to know that we care about them, and they know that by how much we listen. Um, you know, when Buddy and I were youth pastors, it was, it was almost scary how easy it was to draw kids in with food. If you have food, they will come. There was this local skateboarder, and we knew that he didn't want to be at home. His home was uh, not a pleasant place for him. And so he was a skateboarder and he hung around the church all the time and we just learned to know him. And you know what we do? We learn to know him by taking him to get him something to eat. And it's amazing how much children and, and teens will open up over a slice of pizza. Our small group, every week, at the end of our small group, we get pizza in. I'm telling you, we have some meaningful conversations over food. The third way to spend some time is just simply to do family devotions together. You know, you've heard it said the family that prays together stays together. That's as true today as it was 50 years ago. And it'll be true 50 years from today. The family that comes together in that right now media would give you a, a perfect way to bring your family together and look at something, maybe 10 minutes, five minutes, it's another voice, and then talk about, ask some questions of how your children think about that. Don't judge them when they say something really off the wall. Let them have their opinion and let them express their heart. But here's the thing. This is the number one thing in our homes that has gone by the wayside. But growing together spiritually at home shuts an ironclad door on those thieves that are lurking around to steal the minds and the hearts and the souls of our children. In Deuteronomy it says, and think constantly about these commandments I'm giving you today. Teach them to your children and talk about them when you're at home or out on a walk at bedtime and the first thing in the morning. You know, we only have a limited amount of time. One day you're gonna turn around just like we have and look back and say, that was a blink of an eye. I look at Jackson, he's already eight, almost nine years old, and I said, where were the babies? I'm telling you, many of you are shaking your heads because you know how fast it goes. When you're young, you think time is just walking, but you can turn around. We have a limited amount of time with our children. Consider your words that you're saying. Consider the time that you're spending. Wisdom says this, squeeze every ounce of opportunity you have out of it. And when you look back, you'll say, I made a lot of mistakes, but I certainly don't regret spending that time together. Well, another way that we, a necessity that we need in reclaiming our children is show them unconditional love. Show them unconditional love. Here's a paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 for parents that I found on the internet. If I offer the best parental advice but have not love, 
I am only a two-year-old banging on a dishpan. If I read every book on parenting and if I attend every parenting conference but have not love, I am nothing. If I spend all my salary to, buy, to provide the best for my children but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, I know that probably every one of you parents, 99% of you that are here or listening online, you would say, I love my children. But you know, we have that warm feeling of love for our children. And, but love is more than a feeling. We know that, right? Love is an action. For God so loved the world <clears throat> that he did what? He gave. He gave his one and only son. You see, God showed that he loved us by his actions, by the giving of his son. He just didn't tell us he loved us, but he did something for us, and he gave his only son. So do your children, do your grandchildren see by their actions that you love them? Dan, uh, Dan Benson in the book, The Total Man, he did a survey of a number of families, and he found out this. He found out that every one positive statement made in homes, there were 10 negative ones. For every positive thing said in the, in, the, in the average person's home, there are 10 negative things. You know, I have, and I probably some of you have, I have an amazing ability to be critical. I have an amazing ability, ability to pick out what's wrong. You know, we need to learn to see the positive in our children. We need to learn to see the positive in each other not only our children. And we need to praise our children for the strengths that we see in them rather than continually harping on their weaknesses, continually harping on what they don't do right. And uh, you know, there's not nearly enough praise for people's, for strength these days, the strengths of people, well, no, the strength of people these days. I'm just getting called toward that hog, that's my problem, you know? <laughs> But you know, there's two ways that you can show unconditional love. The first way that you can show unconditional love is to value your kids. It's to value your kids. You see, God values us, doesn't he? I mean, we see it all through the Bible. And so we, if we, God shows us unconditional love by valuing us, and we can show our children unconditional love by valuing them. And we can do that in three ways. First of all, by paying attention to them. You know, the Bible says he, meaning God, pays even greater attention to you, down to the last detail, even numbering the hairs on your head. You know, I, I have to be really careful because my grandkids come over in the afternoon and, and sometimes I'm working on a message or I'm reading something or I, I'm involved in something. They'll run in my office and they'll begin to talk to me and I don't stop. I'll talk to them, but I'm not giving them my undivided attention. You know, put down my cell phone, put down the paper, put down the book, you know, whatever it may be so we can give them undivided attention. Not only do we value them by our undivided attention, we do that by showing them affection. The Bible says that God drew them to, drew to me, gosh, I drew them to me with affection and love. I picked them up and held them to my cheek. What a beautiful picture of affection. Not only do we tell them in words that we love them and value them, but we show them by our affection. And so we show them, we value them by paying attention to them, of showing them affection, and finally, by expressing appreciation to them. God says, you are precious to me. 
I don't know if that scripture does you. Every time I use that scripture to think that God looks at me and says, buddy, you are precious to me. You precious thing, you. You know, you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. So unconditional love. We show our children unconditional love by valuing them. We show them unconditional love by never giving up on our kids. Never giving up. Love always believes the best. The Bible says love, love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstance. Real love never gives up on people. Real love never gives up on our children. No matter how frustrated or hurt that we may be from our children, we never give up. Love never walks out. Even if a child gets on drugs, or even if a child is in a bad relationship, or even if your child gets all Fs, love never gives up. It never gives up. You see, it doesn't mean that we play into that, but we don't give up on hope and love and, and showing them unconditional love. You see, your child needs to know, our children, our grandchildren need to know that your love cannot be earned and that they cannot lose your love. You know, we, there is, the truth of the matter is that we can't get God to love us any more than he already loves us. And we can't get God to love us any less than he loves us. God loves us unconditionally. And, and he loves us and we're precious to him. And, and when our children know that we love them, because when I know that God loves me, it gives me security in my relationship that even though I may mess up, even though I may fail, it gives me security in God's love for me because he never walks out on me. He never gives up on me. And he's always there and it gives me security. And when our children know that we love them unconditionally and we don't walk out on them, that they can have security in our love. Lastly, we need to reclaim our children, our kids, by correcting them without condemning them. Now, believe it or not, pediatricians and psychologists are finding today's parents are too permissive. Does that surprise anyone? I mean, I think about my parents and what they got by, what I couldn't get by with, and how I thought they were strict. And then I look at my parenting and I say, wow, I was way more permissive than my parents. And then I look at I won't mention names, <laughs> and I think, and then I look at me with my grandchildren, I think, my goodness, you know, but, but <laughs> they say that's what we have become. Uh, they, the psychologists say that we are reluctant to set limits for our children. And she goes on to say, parental neglect is harming kids from the age of nine months. In other words, when we, when we are too permissive at nine months, starting at nine months, through teenage years that we're, uh, that we're showing neglect that's harming our kids. We all need corrections at times, don't we? God disciplines us. God corrects me. Nancy Samlin, who is a uh, parent educator in New York City, she sees both single parent and two parent families and she sees them overwhelmed. Another one of those, duh, you know? We're overwhelmed, man. I talk to people, I talk to you guys, and you don't have time to hardly to do anything. I mean, you, you got to get from here to here to here to here to here, and we're overwhelmed. And she says to us that parents want their children to love them. I mean, we do, don't we? We want our children to love them. 
And so it's harder to say no than yes. Because if we say no, then we think they won't love us. Especially if we've been working all day, it's easier to say no than yes. The Bible says he corrects those whom he loves. So should we. Proverbs says, take a hold of this scripture. If you refuse to discipline your children, it proves you don't love them. It proves you don't love them. But how do we do that? How do we discipline our children without condemning them? First of all, you never correct them in anger. Never correct them in anger. The Bible says in Ephesians, don't keep on uh, scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with the, lo with the loving discipline, with, with suggestions and godly device, uh, advice. You see, discipline and anger, you're just kind of getting even with them. They make you mad, and so to get back at them or get even with them, you get angry at them, and you discipline them in anger. And see, at that point, it's more about you and you blowing the steam off and you getting right or getting even with them than it is about your children. You see, and, and when we get angry with them and we uh, correct them in anger, it will probably change their behavior. But for all the wrong reasons. You know why your anger will change their behavior? Because they're scared of you. They become scared of us. And it will probably change their behavior. But in the end, in the end, it's going to create resentment in that child. And you will eventually lose them. So don't correct in anger. Take a step back. Watch your words. Ephesians 4, 29, the Bible says, don't use harmful words. Use only helpful words, the kind that should build up. Now, harmful words create hurtful memories. I guarantee you, I know for myself, there are some of you that are sitting here today that somewhere in your past, a parent, a grandparent, or some significant person in your life said some very hurtful things in your life. And you have hurtful memories of that. I mean, those words still ring in your mind. Put-downs and harmful words may motivate somebody in the short term, but again, it's going to create rebellion in your child's life. Rivetta Bowers, the head of the Center for Early Education in Los Angeles, she says schools are replacing parents. Schools now make rules, which in many instances are the only rules in that child's life that are not open to arbitration or negotiation. She says what children really need is guidance and love and support. And she said, we expect them to act more and more like adults, don't we? We, we hurry our children to grow up. You know, parents kind of, a badge of honors to say, well, look at him. He, he's 12 going on 16. Or she's 8 going on 12. And, 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 we, and our children are growing up way too fast. And we expect our children, why don't you grow up? And they're 8 years old. We're saying, why don't you grow up and act like, well, they're acting like they're 8. You know what I'm saying? But while we act more, it says that we expect them to act more and more like adults, while we act more and more like children. Then when we're ready to act like parents, you know, we want, we want to be best friends with our kids instead of parents. And then when we need to be parents and show the discipline to our parents or to our children, then they bristle at us taking our authority back. Now, I'm not going to tell you the form of, that you discipline you should take, 
But the point is, children need discipline. You can go to the Word of God and find out all through the Word of God are ways to discipline your children. There's a story I read about a kindergarten in a town that sat on the corner of a busy highway, cars zooming by. And although the school had a nice playground, a nice yard in which the children could play, at recess, the story says the children were always found backed up against the wall uh, of the school. And the cars were speeding by, and it, and it scared the kids. And so they had a crew to come in, and they erected a fence around the schoolyard. And, and from that point on, the children used the entire playground. I mean, they were no longer huddled by the wall. You see, the fence did not limit their freedom. It actually expanded their freedom. And our children need fences. Our children need boundaries. They need to know what's expected of them. Many times we discipline our children and they have no clue why they're being disciplined. They didn't realize that this was a boundary or this was a fence and it's important that if our kids are gonna respond in freedom that they know what they know, that the rules are the rules, that the fences, the boundaries are what they are and then we, dis we discipline them because we're motivated by love. You see, withholding discipline is not love. But discipline must be done in a way as to lead our children to respect you as a parent. You know, if you say, well, am I, am I disciplined in anger? Look in their eyes. If they're scared of you, if they step back, then probably you're disciplining them in anger, most likely. Love, anger always creates fear. And so discipline must be done, not, be done not in anger or frustration or inconsistent or unreasonable or excessive. So you ask yourself, do your children know the boundaries? Do you have a fence around your children to protect them? When these boundaries are broken, then you're disciplining in love. You can give ch your children all sorts of cool stuff, but what they need most is the abundance of your time. What they need most is your unconditional love where you value them and where you never give up on them and you correct them without condemning them. So in closing, I, I, I just want to talk to parents from one parent to another. You know, a parent that wished sometimes that I would have went to a church or that I would have learned early on how to be a better parent, to have some ideas of how to do that. And I, and I just want to say this, mom and dad, you get one chance at this. You get one shot at it. You know, and I know that you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and I, you say, I've got a lot going on. Yeah, I understand that. We're busy. Yeah, I get that. And, and you know, you say, well, I'm doing my best. Well, let me just tell you from experience. In the blink of an eye, in the blink of an eye, your children are going to be gone. In the blink of an eye. Grandparents, let me tell you something. Your grandchildren need your abundance of your time. You know, they need unconditional love. You know, your grandchildren need you to, to discipline them. They need your wisdom. But grandparents, let me tell you from experience, in the blink of an eye, your grandkids will be off to college. I mean, I think back 
And I was carrying my grandson in my arms. And he's a sophomore at college. In the blink of an eye. He doesn't have as much time for me anymore. In the blink of an eye. You know, parents, in a blink of an eye, they will no longer be riding a tricycle in your driveway or a bicycle down the street. In the blink of an eye, they'll be driving a car. In the blink of an eye, they'll be driving off to college or to start a life on his or her own. And if you don't believe me and you think I'm just being overdramatic or emotional, then I challenge you to blink. Let's pray together. Father, I praise you and thank you for the word of God. Lord, I thank you today that you give us all the instructions that we need to be the parents, godly parents, God, that you have been to each of us. God, I thank you so much today that you love me and you love each of us. And Lord, you want to spend time with us. You always have time for us. And Lord, you, you love us unconditionally. And, you, and God, you value us. And you, God, you will never give up on us. You'll never run out on us. You'll never walk away. Somebody might need to know that today just for your own personal life, that God will never walk out on you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. God will always be there for you. And he will always love you unconditionally. He will always value you. And he'll always have time for you. If you don't know that God today, you can know him through his son, Jesus Christ. And you can know him by confessing that Jesus Christ is the son of God and, and inviting him into your heart to be your savior. Now, Gay's going to come and close for us and pray for us. We're going to worship together, and then we're going to go eat some pig. But before we do that, I, we just want to pray for you because we know the challenge it is to be a parent and a grandparent in these, this day and time. So parents, maybe you're here today and you say, wow, boy, you know, this responsibility that I've taken on is a great responsibility, but gosh, what a blessing God has given us when he's given us children and grandchildren. I think of the joy that my children, but Jody and my grandchildren bring into my life. And you're saying, you know, wow, you know, I just need prayer to be the kind of parent that God wants me to be. The kind of parent that I really want to be. Things are going okay. My children are young and just getting started. But you know what? I, I'd like for Gay to pray for me as she closes in prayer today. With all of her heads bowed and all of her eyes closed, if you're a parent and you'd just like for Gay to pray for you today as a parent, would you just slip up your hand and say, yes, I do. I do. All over the auditorium. Thank you. And then there are parents here today that, you know, you're, you're struggling. I mean, you're right in the heat of it. Maybe you have a teenager that's rebelling. You know, you, you, just, you have a child that's just, you know, getting on your last nerves and you don't know what to do next and you've heard this message and you just want, you just need prayer, you know? You just need us to pray for you as your pastors today. With all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed, say, yeah, Gay, when you pray this morning, when you pray for us, we are struggling. Just lift up your hand and put it right back down. There's no shame in that. There's absolutely no shame in that. God bless you. God bless you. 
So Gay's going to pray for you right now. Pray for all of us as parents, those that raised your hand, those that are online as well. We didn't, you can't see your hand, but I'm sure some of you are there in that situation too as well. God bless you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our perfect parent who loves us unconditionally, who's always with us, has plenty of time for us. We thank you for that. Lord, we come before you this morning and we're so humbled by the blessing of children in our lives. Father, there are parents here that, uh, well, there are some here that don't have children yet. May They may in the future. There are some that may have just found out that they're going to be parents and those that have small children, those that have teenagers and those that have college students and are now grandparents. Father, we all come before you here this morning. It applies to every single one of us. We come humbly before you. And I pray, Lord, for the parents here. God, what a, an awesome responsibility, yet a heavy responsibility that, that we carry. Yet, Father, the children that you've entrusted into our lives and into our hands are such a blessing. We thank you for that. God, I pray for the parents that raise their hands just simply as a parent that needs your love and needs your guidance, needs your strength and your power. Pray a blessing over them and over their children. Father, for those that raise their hands and, says, I, and said, I, I just simply need to hear from you, God. I, I need you. I don't know exactly what to do, but I know that you're the answer in my life. You're the answer in our home. You're the answer in the lives of my children. Father, would you especially be near to them? Would you lead them maybe uh, to the support that they need? A group of people around them, other parents that can help guide. But Father, I pray that all of us will turn to you in our time of need. Father, thank you once again for the children that you've honored and blessed us with. Father, and we just uh, ask that you give us the strength and the power to be all that you've called us to be. That we, Lord, can be those people in, a, in the world that will protect our children from the thieves that want to destroy or grab their hearts and their minds and their souls. Father, we come before you humbly and we receive from you what you have for us. We love you and we praise you. Let's stand together and continue to worship. <laughs> 